thank you, Claudia and Sue, for updating us on that and sharing that. Um, you know, when you give uh, financially to support the ministries of the church just to the general fund, we take a chunk of what comes in and we use it to invest in missions both here in our community around the world. And Love, Inc. is one of those organizations that we have partnered with for over 20 years now. But it's also exciting that today at the end of the service, there'll be an opportunity for this over and above offering to give directly to them to help fund and resource this Grow Together program that's making a real difference in the lives of people like Michaela. Um, you guys probably picked up on this this weekend, uh, but Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror, and we've kind of started the countdown towards Christmas already. And for centuries, churches uh, all around the world have celebrated in that countdown to Christmas by entering into a season that we call Advent. Uh, so Advent, if you ever need something for like trivia night, actually comes from an old Latin word, Adventus, which means arrival. So what we do during the season of Advent is we take these weeks and do some special things to really help us set aside our time and our energy to focus on to preparing the, to celebrate this arrival of Jesus into the world, this arrival that we believe uh, changed human history forever. And to help us do that this morning, we're starting a sermon series that we're going to be in as we move towards Christmas, uh, but we're going to approach it in a way that might not seem very Christmas-y, at least on the surface, because uh, for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about fear. Uh, so to get started, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. If it would help you for any reason, there's some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one of those and turn to the page number that's listed there on the screen. But as you're turning there, let's talk just for a second about fear and, and why it is that I think it's helpful for us to focus on that idea as we move towards Christmas. Um, it's not too much of a stretch. I mean, it's probably not going to surprise anybody to realize that fear is just rampant in our world today. Uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, came across, I was reminded of the study that came out not too long ago that said that the average elementary school age child today experiences the same level of fear and anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. I mean, really stop and think about that, what that means. The, the average kid, our fifth grade daughter at Lincoln Elementary School, probably experiences the same amount of fear and anxiety. If she had experienced that in the 1950s, she would have been under psychiatric care. Like just the baseline level of fear in our world is high. Right? I mean, we just went through a global pandemic, and there's war in Europe, and we hear about famine in Africa, and there's all this tension and division in our world. And I think all of those things just increases the fear and the anxiety that we see. Um, now, we believe that the truth of the Bible actually has something to say about our daily lives. We should act on it. And if you read through the Bible, one of the things that you notice is that one of the commands that is repeated more frequently than any other in the Bible is this very simple two-word command, right? Fear not. Right? Sometimes it's translated as don't be afraid. But we see that message over and over again. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And, and that theme, because it's a key idea in the Bible, it gets talked about a lot. Which is why a lot of times you'll go to church and you'll hear these messages about, you know, faith over fear. Like, we can't let our fears define us. We've got to choose faith over fear. And I think that is very, very appropriate to do a lot of the times. Right? We should choose faith over fear. But I do think there's an unintended consequence of hearing that message, faith over fear, faith over fear, faith over fear. Like, we can get to the point where if we realize that, that faith plays any, or fear plays any role in our life, if it influences our thoughts or decisions in any way, we can feel like a failure, or we can feel like our faith is somehow insufficient. And that's simply not true, uh, because the fact of the matter is our relationship with fear is more complicated than that, because fear in and of itself is not a bad thing. So here's how one author put it. it. says, fear is a facet of being human, 
right? Fear is something that God made to protect you from danger and to bring you to safety, right? When you're in a dangerous situation, fear is what prompts you to react, to respond, to move, right? If you're in the woods and you see a bear, fear is what makes you think, I got to outrun this bear and get out of here. So it would be really silly for us to say, I don't ever want to let fear do anything in my life or have any impact on me. But we also don't want to swing all the way to the other side and get to the point where our fears just cripple us and control us. Because neither one of those is living the life that God designed us to live. Which really brings us to the heart of this sermon series. Um, I want us to spend some time in the next few weeks talking about how the truth of God that we find in the Bible can help us face our fears in a way that allows them to play an appropriate role in our lives. And, And here's what that has to do with Christmas. Like, if you read the different stories in the four biographies of Jesus, the the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament, the stories around Christmas, there are four different times in those stories where an angel shows up to talk to somebody and delivers a message that begins with, fear not. So, you know, there's four Sundays in Advent, you've got four fear not, so we're going to take one of those stories each week and just look at them and see how what happened at Christmas can actually impact the way that we allow fear to play in our lives today. So we're going to start today by looking at five of the chapter I had you turn to. It begins this way. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, so Luke highlights a couple of details about this couple that he wants us to think about. Uh, First of all, Zechariah is a priest, right? All of the priests in Israel were descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. He was the first priest, and he's in that line. So he's got a little bit of, you know, kind of social clout and standing just because of his job. And it's not just him, actually, his wife, she's in this family tree as well, right? So they got this pedigree. And Luke goes out of his way to point out that they're both righteous people, right? They're striving to obey God, to honor him in all they do, right? So they've got a a prestigious job. They got a great family tree, and they're morally upright, which is why the next detail is so surprising. It says they can't have kids, right? Because Elizabeth wasn't able to conceive. Now, in that day and age, if a couple wasn't able to conceive, Kind of that the commonly understood wisdom was that God was punishing them for something, right? God God was cursing them. They'd done something wrong, and that's why God is withholding this gift of children from them. But again, remember who they are, right? They're both from the priestly line, and they're both these righteous and upright people, right? So in the first century Jewish mind, if, if there was ever a couple that God was just standing ready to dump a boatload of blessings on, it would have been these people. And yet the fact remains, they can't have kids, Right? She is not able to conceive. Now, a few years ago, the Bible Project made a series of videos that, that kind of focus on the Christmas story. And there's just one little moment in one of those that I want to show you. You can just kind of roll this while I'm talking. But in this clip, you've got Zachariah and Elizabeth, this older couple, and they're watching a dad play with his son. And there's that moment where he just reaches out and he puts his arm around his wife, who can't have kids, and he pulls her in close. And that moment just gets to me, right? Because I'm guessing that as a couple, they had a lot of those moments. They had moments of real pain when they watched other people getting to celebrate, other people getting to experience the joy they didn't get to have. They had moments of real doubt, like maybe we are doing something wrong. Maybe we are on God's bad side. Is that why we can't have kids? And I'm sure that over the years, they had moments of fear, Right? Fear that God was never going to answer their prayers for a baby. Fear that they would never have a child of their own. 
And see, this, this is where Zechariah's story, I think, starts to touch ours. Because we get that. We have all sorts of fears in our life, too. I mean, especially when you think about the future, something about us resonates with that. We often find ourselves thinking, well, what if this happens? Or what if that doesn't happen? I remember a few weeks ago, our, our son, Simon, had foot surgery. And, it, you know, it wasn't like a heart transplant or life-threatening surgery, anything like that. He was going to be under anesthesia for, like, less than an hour. So we knew he was going to come out of it okay. But, you know, we're there, and I'm there in the pre-op room with him, and he gets all ready, and we're talking. And then, you know, they wheel my little boy away, who's not little anymore. He's like 6'2 and almost 18 years old, right? But they wheel him away, and that fear started to bubble up. What, what if he doesn't wake up? What if this is the last time I see my son, right? What, what is our life going to be like without him in it? And see, those are the kinds of fears that we all have that make Zachariah's story hit close to home. We can understand something of what he has felt. So let's, let's keep reading in verse 8 and see what happens. So it says, Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, we, we don't read these details the same way the original audience would, but if we did, we would understand, like, this is a big moment for Zechariah. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. At this time, there were about 18,000 priests who were living in Israel, which is, like, way more priests than they actually need to get the work of the temple done that the priests were supposed to be doing. So the way that they handled that is they took all 18,000 of them and they divided them into different divisions, right? So Zechariah is in the division of Abijah. And every division had two weeks out of the year where they would rotate into the city of Jerusalem and that's when they got to do the temple duty, right? For the other 50 weeks of the year, most of the priests lived outside the city and they tended to other things. But think about that, right? So it's, it's your two weeks and man, you're on and like this is, this is what you do when you're a priest. And even when you're there in the temple, there are some roles that had to be played that were pretty amazing. Like this role of going in, once a day, somebody would go in, they would offer this incense. And when you did that, like you were literally going into the heart of the temple itself. You're right next to the door, the Holy of Holies, where God's physical presence was on earth. Like this is as close as you will ever get in your life to God. And this was such a special role, and there were so many priests that they just basically drew a name out of a hat to see who would get to do it. And there were so many priests alive at this time that some of them lived their whole life and never got an opportunity to do what Zechariah is getting to do right now, right? This is a big deal for him. So his name gets drawn. And that day, you know, the people gather and the priests, they offer the animal sacrifice. They're praying for the forgiveness of the nation of Israel. And then he enters the temple. And this is what happens. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I mean, this is a scary moment for him all of a sudden. He was not expecting to have company in the temple, but he goes in, and boom, like, there's this angel in there. And apparently angels were fairly intimidating-looking presences because pretty much every time they show up in the Bible, the first thing they have to say is like, don't be afraid, okay? It's all going to be all right. And that's what the angel says. Some translations have that as fear not, but he says, do not be afraid. But then look at what he tacks onto that opening line. He says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. 
Okay, so we should stop for a second and ask ourselves, what prayer has been heard? Because if you've been reading along with the story, what prayer has Zechariah just been praying? Right? He's just been with the priests as they're offering the sacrifice, and they are praying for the forgiveness of the nation. But is that the prayer that the angel's talking about? I'm not sure it is, because look what he says after that. He says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a boy. So from the, the context of the passage, it seems like the angel has a very different prayer in mind. A prayer that I can only imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth have prayed countless times over their life for a baby of their own. But it's also a prayer that I imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth probably stopped praying a long time ago, right? Like when she went through menopause, when it wasn't possible for her to have a baby anymore, when it seemed pointless to pray that anymore. So it's like an impossible situation the angel's describing, and that's how Zechariah responds. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. You can almost, it's like, excuse me, Mr. Angel, like, I... I don't know how it works with angels, but I don't know if you know where human babies come from, but like that's not an option for me and my wife anymore. So the angel responds. He says, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, let's pull back for just a second and talk about the the main idea of this sermon series, right? Which is fear. Because I think if you look at Zachariah's life, fear shows up in in different ways at different times. So again, for me, I imagine all those years when they were young, when they still could potentially have kids, there was this fear that it wasn't going to happen. There was this fear that they wouldn't have a baby. There was this fear that God wouldn't answer those prayers. Well, those fears have passed. And then at the beginning of the story, as he enters into the temple, right, he's just afraid because there's an angel there, right? He thought he was going to be alone, and oh, it's like there's this angel. So he's afraid because of the angel's presence. But I think by the time you get to the end of his message, there's a very different kind of fear in play. I think by the time you get to the end of this message, Zechariah is afraid to hope again, right? He is afraid to trust that what the angel said might actually come true. I mean, after all, for years and years they prayed for a baby. For decades, he and Elizabeth probably cried themselves to sleep at night, begging God for a child, hoping that somehow God would answer those prayers, and he didn't. So eventually, those dreams died. And eventually, those prayers stopped. And now, this angel shows up and says, hey, now that all hope is gone, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And Zechariah is afraid. He is afraid to hope. Because when you do that, you might get hurt again. Right? I think he's afraid of being disappointed again, of being hurt again. He's afraid to let himself believe it might happen. Because what if it doesn't? Right? And we understand what that fear is like. We feel that sometimes. Right? This is the feel that we feel when we go to marriage counseling. Because the other person says, yeah, I'm really committed to working on it now. But what if they lose that resolve? What if they decide they don't want to work on it anymore? Right? This is the fear, I think, that we feel when we hear that the cancer is in remission. Right? It's wonderful news, but what if it comes back? Right? Remission doesn't necessarily mean it's gone forever. Can I really in- enjoy this right now? Right? This is the fear that we have when, when we have a strained relationship. Maybe it's with a child or a friend, and, and all of a sudden they come back into our lives, and we think maybe things have changed. Maybe things can be like they were before, but, but can we really hope that they will? Because what if it doesn't last? 
I mean, maybe you've been afraid to hope. Um, I know that I have. I've shared before that about 13 years ago, uh, my wife Martha and I, we lost a pregnancy when she was 20 weeks along, our little girl, Cora. And about a year after that, we started talking about whether or not we wanted to try again. And Martha did, and I did not. And do you know why I didn't want to do that? It's because I was afraid. I was afraid that it would happen again. The doctor told us that what happened with Cora was like a 1 in 10,000 birth cord defect, something that likely would never happen again. But I was scared, because what if she got pregnant? And we spent all of those weeks preparing our hearts and preparing our homes to bring this new baby home, and then we lost him again. And I didn't want to do that again. And, you know, I think that's the kind of fear that's going on with Zachariah here, too. While he, while he initially might have been afraid of the fact that there was an angel there with him, by the time he gets to the end of the angel's message, he's afraid of what that message is doing inside of him. Can he hope again? So he's like, oh, I, don't, you know, I don't know. So the angel replies, he says, look, Zachariah, you're afraid. You're not sure this is really going to happen. Tell you what. Maybe I can boost your confidence. Maybe I can give you a sign and let you know that God will actually do what he promises you and he's going to do. Tell you, what, you won't be able to speak from here on out until the baby shows up. And, you know, sometimes we read the story and we see the fact that Zechariah doesn't get to talk for like, you know, nine months. And we see this as a punishment of him. Like, Zechariah, you didn't have enough faith, man. You didn't believe what the angel said. So, boom, you don't get to talk now. That'll teach you. That's how I always read it. But, you know, now I'm starting to wonder, maybe that's not the only way to read this, right? Maybe what happens to Zechariah is not a punishment, but a gift, right? Maybe it's something that God chooses to do to give some very concrete assurance to a terrified old man who has lost hope that he will ever have a son of his own, right? Maybe it's God's way of coming alongside this couple and letting them know that he would be with them, that he would do what he said he would do, that they didn't have to give up hope for the future. Because here's the thing about our fears about the future. None of us are very good at predicting the future, are we? I mean, think about it. Think back where you were in January of 2022, the beginning of this year. Could you have predicted everything that happened to you this year? Of course not. Do you think anybody woke up in January of 2020, for example, and said, I bet there'll be a global pandemic this year that turns everything upside down? Right? Even the people who literally, they get paid to predict the future. People like pollsters and weathermen, they don't always get it right. In fact, I remember, speaking of weathermen, uh, years ago we were living in Tulsa, and it was Christmas Eve, and our four kids were so excited because every weatherman in town said there is a 100% chance of snow tonight. We are going to get 10 to 12 inches of snow. And our kids are just like, oh, I mean, this is going to be like a white Christmas like no one has ever experienced. And we wake up the next morning, and there is nothing. I mean, there is not a single flake of snow. Anyway, it's not even cold. You know, and we wake up, and we're like, oh. And well, later that year, I officiated at a wedding, and these two different local newscasters got married. And we're sitting there at the reception, and this guy comes up to me to say, hey, and I'm like, you look really familiar. He says, yeah, I'm the weatherman for Fox Channel 23. And before I could stop myself, it just slipped out. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. My kids think you have the easiest job in the world because you can say whatever you want to and be wrong, and there are no consequences to that. <laughs> it's probably not the most polite thing to say, but it just, it just came out. And he stops for a minute, and he pauses, and he looks down, and he's like, they're still mad about Christmas Eve, aren't they? 
It's like, yeah, and he's like, no, you see the storm tracks out there. I was like, no, 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 you know, right? Because here's the thing, right? None of us, none of us can know the future. There's always going to be uncertainties, but that doesn't mean we have to give up on hope, and it doesn't mean we have to give in to fear. Because while there's a lot of things we don't know, there are definitely some things that we do know. And we know that God hears our prayers, right? He may not answer them in the way we want or in the timing that we want, but we know he hears. And we know some amazing truths about God because of what he says about himself in Scripture, the promises that he made, right? We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that God promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And best of all, this is really what Christmas is all about, we know that God is with us. Right? In Matthew's version of the Christmas story, they say you're going to name this boy Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God is with us. That's what Christmas is all about, God coming into our world and being with us. See, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Like, I've always been touched by a way that a woman named Corrie ten Boom talks about this. If you're not familiar with her life, Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch woman. She lived during World War II, and her family actually hid Jewish people from the Nazis. Uh, they were discovered, and her family was sent to a concentration camp where Corrie ten Boom watched her sister die. And over the years that she was in that camp, she struggled with unbelievable fear and uncertainty. Was she going to die? Was she ever going to get out? If she did, what would life look like on the other side of this? How many in her family would have survived this? But those fears, she was able to, to face the uncertainty and the fear because of what she knew to be true about God. And I love this quote. This is how she sums it up. She says, we should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Right? We should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. There is a lot that is uncertain about what's ahead. There are a lot of ways that fear can show up in our lives, but those fears do not have to control us because we know that God is with us. And we know that we can trust our unknown future to our known God. There's one last tiny little detail I want to point out in this story. And honestly, I completely missed it the first time I was reading through it until my wife Martha pointed it out to me. Look, look at what the angel says about this baby. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. This baby is going to be a joy and a delight to you. I mean, think about this. Isn't it amazing that our God was able to, to do this miracle that moved this big, world-impacting salvation story forward, but he did it in a way where he included this really tender and surprising gift of love and joy to this older couple. Right, their son, John, he plays a key role in the story of salvation, right? He's the one who announces the way that Jesus is coming, who points towards Jesus. So the fact that this miracle that he's announcing, you're going to have this boy, God is really putting into motion sort of the end stage of his rescue plan. This is something that is going to impact every human life and all of human history. But he's not so worried about the big picture and concerned on that, that he isn't able to bring this gift of joy into the life of a couple who gave up on hope a long, long time ago. And you know, God's still doing that. Um, Martha and I did decide to try for a baby, and 11 years ago in October, our youngest, Tessa, was born. And Martha has this very, very distinct memory uh, as she was holding Tessa in the hospital. These song lyrics just came rushing into her mind out of nowhere, and the lyrics say, joy, unspeakable joy. It rises in my soul 
and it never lets me go. Those words come from a a modern adaptation of the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And we're going to sing that song in just a minute to close out our service together. But think about what that means. Just think about how how this, this, all of this, right? God, God doesn't always answer our prayers in ways that are as dramatic as what we see in this story. But all of us can face our fears about an unknown future by trusting in the God that we do know a God who brings joy even in difficult times, a God who did not leave us alone in our fears and alone to face our fears, but on Christmas came to be with us in the midst of them. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to pray to close out this time, and then we're going to finish out our service by singing that song, Joy to the World, together. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together today and to look at your word. Um, God, the last couple of years have not been easy in lots and lots of ways. So I could imagine that there are a lot of us who are in the room today or who are watching online who are afraid to hope because we've been pretty disappointed in the past. Uh, That could be just in the state of the world or something in a relationship or our job or school, whatever it might be. So God, would you, just through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of our hearts and let us know what we need to do with what we've heard today? Would you help us know what it means to to know that you are with us and that we can hope in the future and that we don't have to give in to fear? And God, as we begin to, to close, we close our, as we sing this song, right? It's an upbeat song. It talks about joy to the world because you have come. You fill our lives with unspeakable joy, God. Would you replace whatever fear that is not healthy that we might have with a deep and abiding sense of the hope and the joy that only you can provide? Amen.